Hello, Virginia Conference. I would like to thank our listening audience uh, for taking the time to be with us today. And I am very honored again to introduce our guest for this hour, Dr. David B. Agus. Dr. Agus is a professor of medicine and engineering at the University of Southern California, Keck School of Medicine and Victorby School of Engineering and the founding director of the University of Southern California's Lawrence J. Ellison Institute for Transformative Medicine. He is one of the world's leading physicians and the co-founder of several pioneering personalized medicine companies. As a contributor to CBS News, he comments on important health topics regularly on television. Also, Dr. Agus specializes in treating patients with advanced cancer. Dr. Agus, here in the Virginia Conference, we are doing our best to ensure the safety of our churches. We are not here to control our church's ministry, but instead here to assist our 1140 plus churches to be part of the effort to take control of this virus. So Dr. Agus, it has been approximately eight months since we last talked. So can you briefly share with our audience, where are we in this pandemic as well as the effect of the Delta variant? Thank you so much, Bishop, for having me here. I mean, as you and I talked right before we went on camera is that it seems a lot longer than eight months. This virus yeah. has made time almost stand still in many regards. Um, and I would have sworn it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem is, is the virus changed. And so over the summer, we had the rise of what we call the Delta variant. We went from 2% of cases in the United States to now it's near 100% of cases. Every case in the United States basically is a form of the Delta variant. It is more infectious and it is easier to spread. When we spoke eight months ago, we were at the beginning of the vaccination program in the country. And we did a great beginning. We really you know, let off well in our country and we were the top country in the world at the time in terms of vaccines. Now we're one of the lowest in terms of percentage of people vaccinated. We're the lowest of the developed G7 countries by far. And we stopped at kind of 53% of the country vaccinated and it really isn't budging much. And that worries me a lot. Um, when you're not vaccinated, you can get the virus and spread it dramatically more than somebody who is vaccinated. So a lot of the naysayers say, hey, listen, you know, people with the vaccine are still getting the virus. And that is true. There are breakthrough cases. The vaccine is amazing at what we call lower respiratory tract immunity. It protects your lungs really well. It's not as good for the upper respiratory tract, the nose, because it's a different immune system. And so classically breakthrough cases are just a cold and don't affect the lung. That's why there's very few hospitalizations in these breakthrough cases because the lungs are okay. You spread the virus mainly from the lungs. So while there's the same amount of virus in a vaccinated and a non-vaccinated in the nose, there's almost no virus in the lung of the vaccinated. And so that's why it is dramatically less spread from a vaccinated person. The only way we're going to stop the virus in this country is if more people get vaccinated and more people trust science and trust our body to respond to the vaccine in a way that gives us protection, our family members protection and our neighbors protection. 
because there are 7% of people in this country that cannot respond to a vaccine. They have immune disorders, they have cancer, they're an infant, or they have an autoimmune problem. And in those individuals, we have to protect them as one community. We have to think of others. And so we all need to stand up and get vaccinated. We saw the president of the United States stand up two weeks ago and said, every company that employs more than 100 people, there's a vaccine mandate in those individuals. And I, and I love that guts of his. And he really took a leadership role. To get normative behavior change, you need leadership. And the president showed that, and we have to respect that. And we have to stand up. You know, this morning I spoke to the CEO of United Airlines, who was really the first big company that said, in order to work for United, they have to be vaccinated. When he said that, it was about 40% of the employees vaccinated. Today, they crossed 97%. And so leaders, whether it be a company uh, leader, whether it be a church leader, whether it be a political leader, leaders are the ones who have to guide all of us what to do. So we're in a situation now where about half the country is unvaccinated and we see significant amount of virus spreading. That is the Delta variant across. We see kids going back to school and enabling more spread. A few days ago, we had the uh, Pfizer submitted to the FDA um, the, the vaccine for ages two through 11. And over the next two, three weeks, we're gonna see that approved with an EUA, emergency use authorization. So we're gonna be able to vaccinate another 28 million people in our country and those are kids who are very vulnerable to the virus and can spread it to others and are in school. So they're in close proximity. You try to get a three-year-old to wear a mask and social distance. It's a hard thing to do. And so they certainly need that vaccine and it's coming. And I think all of us have to stand up, whether we're a parent, we're a grandparent, and really make sure that we protect that next generation of children. We're seeing parts of the country now with ICUs and hospital beds filled. And we don't want that. What that means is in these parts of the country where the virus is flourishing, it's not just the people with the virus. We're stopping all elective procedures. Remember, an elective procedure is having a heart surgery, having cancer surgery. Those are what we call elective procedures. And those patients can't go into the hospital because there's no room for them. So we're having people who are presenting much later and more advanced with cancer that has spread, heart disease that is causing major problems and even deaths and many other medical issues that can't be dealt with. So we have to stand up and start to protect our citizens, whether it be in our churches and our community, and really try to help all of them. And it frustrates me. I get upset every night when I think about it, is that this was preventable. We've lost more lives in this pandemic than we did in the Spanish flu in 1918. This was preventable because we have a vaccine and we have to stop it now. Well, thank you for just giving us that brief synopsis. And I'm going to begin by just asking you what I consider some general COVID questions that people ask all the time. First of all, can you explain the concept of variants? Why are there variants? And does it mean we will be hear hearing different types of variants in the future? For example, the Lambda variant, uh, several months ago um, was discovered in Houston. So can you explain to us the concept of variants and why are there variants? Over a million years of evolution, humans, our genome changed 1%. This virus can change 1% in a day. And so mm. the problem is this virus has evolved a really good way of sticking around, which is changing its RNA, it's changing its genome. And so when it does that, sometimes its characteristics can change, and sometimes it looks differently to our immune system. 
So a variant of concern, that's the ones we care about. That's the Lambda you mentioned, the Mu variant, the Delta variant. Yes. Those are ones that they're more infectious by definition because they were able to dominate. So they went from a couple of cases to the most dominant ones very quickly. And you know, what we worry about is that the vaccines were originally made to the original strain of COVID that was uh, found in a town called Wuhan in China. And as the virus changed, for example, this Delta variant, think of it this way. When you have the original one, your immune system can recognize, say, 10 spots on it. But as the variants come, there are fewer and fewer spots the immune system can recognize. So you really need to keep a high level of immunity to be able to fight it off. So that's why booster shots are going to be necessary, is to keep that level of immunity high to fight the variant. On Monday of this week, um, myself and a whole team of people launched what we call GPASS, which is the global system to look at variants, where every country in the world now is putting their data into one spot, and we could see on a big map where things are happening as the virus is changing. The good is there are other variants, mu and lambda, but yes. they seem to be sensitive to the vaccines, and they're not spreading anywhere near Delta is. Delta is still close to 98, 99% of the cases in the United States. So right now, there are no other variants that I am worried about here in the United States, which is a good statement. Yes. That being said, it's going to change. And at some point in the future, we're going to have a variant that is evading the vaccine. And what we'll have to do is, at that point, get a booster that targets that variant. And it shouldn't be a big deal. We're building the infrastructure now to do it. And it shouldn't be a panic like it was 19 months ago when this all began. But it is in our interest, every citizen of the United States, every member of your church, it is in their interest that we vaccinate and help vaccinate the rest of the world. The more the virus spreads anywhere in the world, the more of a chance for it to change and create a new variant. So we're working very hard to disseminate the vaccine in some of the Asian countries, in Africa, because we have to vaccinate those individuals, not just because it's the right thing to do, and it is, but right. also to protect us from variants. We kind of get a twofold benefit there. And so getting them, and they have the same issues we have. We can get vaccines there, but getting them into arms is hard. We call that vaccine absorption. So we're now getting vaccines to most countries in Africa at a pretty good clip, but the absorption isn't where we need to be. First of all, they're at airports and the vaccines aren't needed at the airports. They're needed throughout the country. So getting them there, we're working on. Some of the African leaders have said, hey, I'm not taking this vaccine. I don't trust it. And so the citizens of that country then don't trust it. Mm. So we have to develop education programs and make people yes. understand these vaccines are safe. These vaccines work and they save lives. And we have no choice but to use science and our own immune system with the science to fight the virus. Okay. Can you share more about the effectiveness of the vaccine against the Delta variant? Because that's the one that we hear the most about, and as you mentioned, uh, is most contagious. Can, can you share a little bit about the effectiveness? So the good is, is that all three vaccines approved in the United States, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer, are excellent at fighting the Delta variant. Yes. The problem is, is that with Moderna and Pfizer, every month you lose 6% of your immunity. So if you had it six months ago, you've lost a third of your immunity. J&J um, &J started with a lower immunity, but it falls less but they're all very good. And what we saw in data from Israel, and if you took people six months out and you gave them a booster, the number of breakthrough cases went to near zero and nobody was hospitalized when they were exposed to Delta. 
So while the vaccines now are fantastic at blocking serious illness, I think we as a society want more, and that's where the boosters come into play. So starting at the end of last week and this week, you have the FDA and the CDC debating the boosters. What the FDA said is that anybody who is occupationally exposed to COVID, a teacher, a healthcare worker, a minister, somebody who works in an office with other people, those individuals should probably get a booster six months after their last shot if they're 40 years of age and older is my gut is what will come of these conversations. And so the boosters are safe. They're about two thirds less side effect than your second shot and they work. So with no downside and significant upside, a four to 10 fold increase in immunity from that booster, I'm encouraged, but I still am encouraged that the current vaccine, just those two shots or the one in J&J are protecting all of us from serious illness from Delta. Okay, well, I definitely look forward to getting my booster. Uh, I received the Moderna uh, in April, and so I'll be looking forward to uh, my six-month booster shot. I would give it to you, but I'm far away. It's about a 3,000-mile three mile drive, or I would do it for you. Yes, because you are in California. Um, you've mentioned breakthrough cases. Can you explain why we are seeing breakthrough cases uh, despite people being vaccinated? So, you know, the notion is breakthrough means the vaccines are working. And I think to the counter, when you get a breakthrough case in general, it's just mild. You get a little cold. Some, most of the time, people don't even know they have it. They just test positive. You know, maybe you're sick for a day or two with a fever and you get better. You would have been dramatically more ill if you hadn't had the vaccine. And we're not seeing serious illnesses. Close to 94% of the hospitalizations are the unvaccinated. And that's an amazing figure if you think about it. Half the country is vaccinated, half is not. But all the hospitalizations are the people who are unvaccinated. Right. So the vaccines are protecting pretty dramatically well from that serious illness. And that's what we have to go on. What I care about, I don't care if you get a cold. I mean, obviously, I don't want you to get a cold. But it doesn't <laughs> bother me as much if you get a cold. But what I don't want you to do is to be hospitalized, to be seriously ill, and to potentially have lung and other ramifications of that virus from the rest of your life. So they're working. There are some breakthrough cases. They're generally mild. Let me ask you this question, because this causes some confusion. Uh, do people who recover from COVID still need to be vaccinated? And can you, share, can you share why people with natural immunity still need the vaccine? It's a great question. And I think it's been very misleading by the media. If you had the virus, your immune system makes a response to the whole virus. The problem is, is that only that spike protein is required for that virus to get inside your cell. And so when they say, well, the antibody levels are very high in people who had COVID before, they're the wrong antibodies. They're not what we call neutralizing antibodies. They're not the antibodies that will block you from getting sick again. So we're seeing patients that, or people that had COVID before are yes. very commonly getting a, a Delta variant now and getting very, very ill with it and being hospitalized. So prior infection doesn't give you enough or the right kind of immunity to protect you. And so you need those vaccines. And what we're seeing is, right, and that's why the policies came into place. That's why the president said, hey, you need a vaccine if you want to go in the workplace. That's why bars and restaurants say, you need to show us you have a vaccine to come in. That's right. why Bruce Springsteen said, you want to come to my Broadway concert? You need a vaccine to walk in. And I think that's what's important. You're going to see, you know, the United States say, hey, in order to travel on an airplane, you're going to need a vaccine so that you don't spread it to others who are on that airplane. Let me ask you this. 
Um, we are hearing, or I can say folks are sharing that there's a new Lambda variant. Is that true? And is it something we should be concerned about? Right now, no. I mean, there are okay. new variants happening of Lambda, of Mu, and of Delta, but they aren't of concern to us right now in that they still appear to be responsive to the vaccines and they're not spreading much. Remember when Delta, when we really got concerned about it, it went from 2% of cases in the United States. A week later, it was 12%. Then it was 30%. Then it was 40 Then it was 80 Then it was 97 That means it's crazy infectious. The other ones aren't spreading like that. So they're not okay. as infectious. And right now, things could change, but right now we're not worried about that. Well, you know, we've had people here in the Virginia conference to send us questions. And so I'm gonna shift to some of those questions. One of the questions is, will this pandemic turn into being an endemic? We're not trying to you know, excite people or stir people up, but will this be an endemic at the end? You know, what's gonna happen is, you know, over the next several weeks, I think we're gonna see a decline in Delta. So by the end of October, beginning of November, we're gonna be in a better situation than we're in now. Um, as we can, if we can get more people vaccinated in the United States, I think that we're going to be able to stop worrying about this virus. It's still going to be around every year, especially as we move indoors in the winter months, there'll probably be a spike somehow. And then at some point there may be a new variant that comes that really causes a major problem for a short time till we get that booster vaccine and we all our shoulders come down and it goes away. So this is something that we are going to live with, which is what you mean by endemic. Yes. And we are going to be better prepared for it. We're not going to be taken by surprise. We're going to trust science, all of us, and we're going to get science ready and the infrastructure ready so it doesn't grind to a halt our society, our economics, our religious worship, everything we do, our way of life. We're going to have to live with it. You know, one of the greatest scientists ever in the 90s said the only thing that threatens man's and women's dominance on this earth is the virus. It is our wits, our brains versus their genome. And he was right. But we now have the science to be able to live our current way of life or our real way of life you know, in, a, in a very productive way if we believe in it. And what we have to do is start to take the politics out of science. We have to develop leaders who understand science and can get those words out there. It got way too politicized. Whether you wore a mask or not or get a vaccine or not, said something about your overall views, and it shouldn't. It wasn't a belief, right? It is data. Okay. You shared last time with us that uh, you are Jewish. And uh, on a personal note, can you just share with our audience how your faith community has been gathering for worship and what kind of safety measures did you all uh, in your synagogue uh, implement? So I you know, go to a synagogue here in Los Angeles. It's a little bit of a hippie one. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like one you would have seen in the 60s and 70s, which is kind of fun. Um, but I still have participated since the beginning of the pandemic till now by Zoom. Okay. Some people get together in person and they're yes. socially distanced and they wear N95 masks or KN95 masks when they do it. Um, but I participate by Zoom at home with my wife and children. Um, and everybody has to do it based on their risk. I take yes. care of patients who are ill. And so it wasn't right for me to be in a higher risk situation to potentially spread the virus to them. If you're a 20 year old, it probably is okay for you to go to church. It really depends on who your family members, and the level of risk you're willing to take. And so I think that's what we all have to live at. There's not one size fits all. And to me, that's a good thing. To many, it's a stressful thing. I don't know what to do. Help me make mm -hmm. my decision. But it's very hard. It depends on your value system. And there is some risk to getting together. It's minimal if you do it right. Mm 
And each of us need to develop our own risk profile based on our own health risks and our family's health risks. You know, obviously, you know, I'm Jewish. So I'm a little bit different than the people I'm talking to. I think the biggest difference is my family is from Baltimore and y'all are from Virginia. (laughs) That's where we're going to butt heads a little bit. (laughs) All right. Can you identify the elements of transmission in a worship setting? And is it, again, this has been a big debate through singing and hugging and meal sharing, um, some of our issues of transmission? So it's spread predominantly by droplets. So when I speak, you know, if you stand in front of a mirror, you see it gets foggy. That's basically droplets accumulating on the mirror. And the virus hitches along for the ride. What we know with Delta is you need fewer virus particles to get you sick than we did with the other strains. So most of the other strains, we said, hey, if you were outdoors, um, so I'm in LA. Most religious services in LA are in a tent outdoors because mm-hmm. crazy good ventilation compared to indoors. And on the East Coast, you, you can't do that most of the year. Um, and so uh, uh, we thought, listen, you're not going to get much spread outdoors. Unfortunately, with Delta, we're actually seeing some spread outdoors, which is worrisome. If you wear a mask, the dominant thing you do is block those droplets so they don't spread to others. It's not as much protecting you as protecting everyone around you. Right. So you're only as good as your weakest neighbor. If you wear a mask um, because you're really following by the rules and the person next to you doesn't, that's trouble because you can, their droplets can attach to your mask and you can breathe in that virus. And we don't want that. So if everybody wears a mask and they socially distance, um, we can certainly block spread of the virus. When you sing, you know, the better and better singer you are, you go deep in those lungs. So you're mm-hmm. going to get more potentially virus particle spread. So if you sing softly, it's going to be a smaller number. If you're belting it out, you're going to be more. And so obviously that choir or the people who are belting it out need to be more distanced than the others. And I think if you do it right, it's going to be very low risk. But the key is to really do it right and stick to those rules. Um, And then everyone's going to be safe. Okay. Can you share with us what are some things, and you've you've already mentioned this, but can you share with us some things that we should do as a church uh, to continue to ensure the safety of the people gathered for worship? And you did say, which I'm glad, it is a personal preference. But again, can you just reiterate to our listeners the key things that we can do in our churches to ensure safety. So A is educate. Um, While we say it's a personal preference, I want to make sure everyone who goes to that church service knows how to make the right decision. It's their own decision, but I want them really to understand it. So educating is number one. Number two is know what's going on around you. If you're in a place where there's very little viral spread, your risk is much, much lower. If you're in a place where there's lots of cases every day and the hospitals are full, that's a very different situation. So making decisions and educating differently based on what's going on around you is critical. Number three is really, you know, mandating the vaccine. And I think that's important is, you know, mandating is the wrong word, but saying you want to come to church and worship with other people around you, you need to have a vaccine. So your risk of spreading to others is dramatically lower. We have to care about each other. Nobody should be forced to get a vaccine. I don't believe that. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, you shouldn't have the privilege of potentially going to church if you can spread the virus at a very high level to others. It's just not safe. We don't let people smoke a cigarette in church because they can harm others, 
right? That's right. You have a right to smoke, but you don't have a right to smoke where you can spread the smoke to others, which is the secondhand smoke argument. And this is similar in that regard. Um, I do think we wanna geographically arrange the church in a way that we can limit spread. So the people who are speaking need to be distanced from the people who are listening. When we are, uh, uh, because the people who are speaking generally don't have the masks on. The people who uh, are singing, we wanna make sure they are wearing the masks and doing it in the right way so that, that they're not spreading the virus. And then if it's possible, obviously doing the church service outdoors in nature, um, when we can, maybe for the next month or two, it's a great thing if we can do it. It's not as convenient as being you know, lined up in the church, but there is a benefit to having that. And if you're short of that, just make sure the ventilation system is good. If you can't open the windows, make sure that you know the, the air conditioning system is on, even if it's you know cold, just blowing air so we can have circulation and good ventilation. We know ventilation matters um, with this virus. And the more we can get the air to circulate well, the less there's gonna be a chance of virus spread. What is the role of the church to continue to encourage their members as well as the community to get vaccinated? How do you feel the role of the church? I think the role of the church is paramount. You guys are in charge here. Um, you probably have more power on the people who worship in your church than anybody else does in their life. Um, and we, you know, as said in the movie, Spider-Man, which is where I get most of my wisdom, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, and that's what's key here, is that all of you have power of the people in your church and power in a way to educate and to educate real about science. And if you don't understand it, it's incumbent among you to figure out how to do that and either bring somebody in who does or learn yourself. Um, and I think that's so, so critical. Here's an aspect that you can radically affect their life and everyone in their family's life. If they get sick, even if they survive, they may have ramifications from the virus from the whole rest of their life. And we wanna prevent that. And so there's a lot of power in each of your hands to help a lot of people. And you know, we all have to stand up and use our power in a positive way in this pandemic. And I think that's the great positive that will come out of the pandemic is that we have an ability here to help each other um, and to be one community again. And that I think that the last decade was really the era of the individual. And I mm. think going forward now, this is the era of the community. And really to make people understand that it's not just you. You know, we're the only country I know with a bill of rights. I have a right to do this. I have a right mm. to not wear a mask. I have a right to do what I want. But you don't have a right to harm others. We are one community. And if we could take that positive out of the pandemic, we'll have really gained something here. We you know, Dr. Excuse me. I, you know, I totally agree with you. I think that we, we cannot um, stop sharing the importance that it's not an individual. We are in this together. We need each other. We need to continue to wear the mask when that is appropriate in certain areas, of course, indoors. We need to still uh, social distance, washing our hands, doing all the personal hygiene that we still need to do to improve. I am also curious, I asked you this last time, there was of course the big concern within the African-American community about vaccines. Um, and as well as we see different reports about uh, people of color. Have you all noticed in your research the improvement as we've gone through the pandemic or as well as education of people being educated of the improvement of people of color 
getting vaccinated. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I well, it's either cool or depressing on how you look at it. <laughs> is that it's really, really uh, 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 bumpy. In that there are areas where you have great leaders, great people of color leaders, where the vaccine rates are through the roof, and they mm-hmm. they basically make every other you know parts of society look bad. And there are areas where it's remarkably low, and in those areas there aren't good leaders. And so it's it's really patchy in that regard. And I think the patchiness to me is a is a ray of hope and optimism because if some communities can do it, they all can do it. If it were all low, I'd be much much more worried because we're seeing that patchiness. To me, it really means that it's achievable by every community if we get the leaders to step up and do the right thing. Okay. Two weeks ago, I was uh, in a church in Roanoke and I was very impressed to see that uh, in this church, all all leaders uh, that worked with children, of course, wore, wore masks. All of the kids were wearing masks. And we believe that our children are one of the most valuable members. Well, everybody is valuable, but of course we love our children and we know that they are the future. Can you share some ideas on how we can protect our children? What's amazing is how resilient our children are. You know, our children, you know, no, nowadays, most of them don't even notice they're wearing a mask. Most That's of the time. correct. We thought, oh my gosh, they're going to be, they're going to go crazy. They're not going to learn anything. They learned on Zoom and now they're back and they're doing very well. We have amazing children in this country and they continue to impress me. What we need to continue to do, do though, is normalize that behavior. They can't see the discord about, well, I have a right not to wear a mask. They need to wear a mask until they're vaccinated. And you know, right now, many children under the age of 12 are not able to be vaccinated. In fact, if you look across the country, the worst group in vaccines is a 12 to 18. We haven't done very well with them. So we need to do better at protecting our children. There's a notion, hey, your children don't get that sick. It's okay if they get the virus. But the problem is they can get really sick. And we're seeing you know, uh, several thousand hospitalizations a week of children across the country that just don't need to happen. So we need to figure out ways and continue to do what we do, which we know works, which is making them wear a mask until there's been vaccines. In the LA County School District, we're the largest, second largest school district in the country. We have mandated vaccines to people who are eligible in the LA County School District. And I applaud the directors of that school district for standing up for the health of their children. And I think that's fantastic. We need to do that obviously with all the teachers now and every school district in the country, we need to protect them. And the kids that can't, we need to continue to praise them for wearing the mask and distancing and doing the right thing. As much as possible, have those playtimes outdoors. Try to do tasks outdoors if you can with them. Really do things so they don't have to get together very tightly in a group. They could be somewhat more distance. Um, and just make the mask normal so they don't even notice it. You know, I was with a child yesterday. He was four years old. He was telling me about he was just went to school, what his class was like. And he didn't use names. He called them by their mask. There was Spider-Man. <laughs> There was uh, uh, Mulan, there was the princess, because they each had a different, you know, basically Disney theme mask. Um, and it was kind of funny how that became their identity. It was great. Well, you know, in our churches, we do host a lot of preschools and we've gotten this question a lot. How can we ensure the safety of our children, but at the same time, continue the day-to-day ministry of serving our communities and even speaking specifically about when we are hosting preschools? First of all, you gotta make sure the parents are vaccinated. I think that's mm-hmm. critical. Um, and so they don't spread to the children and vice versa. 
number two is we have to make, you know, no matter where you are, no matter the color of your district, red or blue, we have to make sure that everyone is wearing a mask so we can protect the children and protect their families because those children go home and they have parents and grandparents and neighbors they interact with. And so we really need to build that in there and to educate the children. While our children are our future, they're also our present and they're also our conscience. And so I think it's on all of our consciences if we don't do that. And so we can have great education for the children. It can be in person and it can be done right. And what we've seen is the districts that do that or the schools that do that or the kindergartens or nursery schools that do that, they have excellent outcomes. And there are very few, if any, cases there. The key is to do it right and to really be thoughtful in every aspect and how you do it. And it may be that you go out of that quaint little classroom and you're gonna go into the bigger church area for your, your class because there's more room there, that's okay. So it's not gonna be perfect right now, but I guarantee you they're not gonna be wearing masks all year, right? I think that we're gonna be able to get vaccines for kids two through 11 by the end of October. And I think that the number of virus cases are gonna fall dramatically in places like Virginia over the next month or two. So masks will be off and we'll be back to a more normal way of life. And then we have to convince the parents, if your child has a runny nose, they shouldn't come to school. They're not gonna mm. be penalized, but this is gonna be our new normal. If they're a little bit sick, you don't say, ah, you know, tough it out and go to school. You say, let's keep you home. Um, that has to be the new normal and we're all gonna do well. Uh, finally, Dr. Angus, are you still sending out your uh, weekly or um, text information? And if you are, can you give us that information again so that we can put it up on the screen? I would be privileged to. And yes, I am. Okay. Um, and I send out a text, you know, uh, once a week normally. And it phone number, if you text the number 310-299-9322, you'll get a text back and then you'll be part of my video channels. And if you have a question about your community, about yourself, your family, email back and we answer every question. Um, uh, and, and it's certainly my privilege to be able to educate in this way. My kids would say, dad, you don't know your number by heart. No, <laughs> my kids are right. I should, but I don't. I had to look it up. Okay. Can you give us that number again? But we will put it on the screen as well when we edit this and everything. Can you give me the number? 310-299-9322. Okay. Well, Dr. Agus, again, I know you are very, very busy. I want to just say to you, I thank you for all of the research that you are doing, not only with COVID, but also advanced uh, cancer patients. I want to thank you and your staff for joining us. As I said, uh, I thought we met a year ago, yeah. but I was corrected. It was only eight months. I am hoping and praying that the next eight months, um, we will do a whole lot better, not only in Virginia, but in just the entire world. I just wanna uh, say to, um, to our Virginia Conference uh, clergy and laity, I, I hope that you all have found this uh, time beneficial with Dr. Agus. And uh, Dr. Agus, again, I said this the last time, we will here in the Virginia Conference continue to pray for you and your staff and all of the work that you are doing. And we just wanna say thank you. And I just wanna say thank you again. Thank you, Bishop Lewis. And I hope soon that I could be praying with you in person. Amen. All right, take care. Bye-bye.